and gentlemen, live from the West Coast, it's time for Ring Talk Live Worldwide. Your inside look into combat sports. Yeah. Brought to you by the WBO, the World Boxing Organization. How about that? And now, the host of the longest-running fight show in radio and Internet history. Let's get him. Let's get him hard. Pedro Fernandez. Better grab me quick before my knees give way. Thomas E. Caballeros, bienvenidos. Ladies and gentlemen, emanating, coming at you from the multi-million dollar Sports by Lime Studios in San Francisco, California. Check it. This is Ring Talk Live Worldwide. This is hour number two, often imitated but never duplicated. Here we go for another hour live on Sports Byline, iHeartRadio, Sirius XM, Satellite Radio, Channel 211, and like a thousand other internet platforms. Of course, all of our podcasts end up at Anchor.com. Check out Ring Talk Live Worldwide at Anchor.com for all the previous shows. Straight up, we're talking boxing for the most part in this hour. Of course, the UFC, yeah, we'll mention them to an extent because they did have a card last night. But Stephen Miocic being the world heavyweight champion of the UFC, he did retain that title. And the reason why I sort of say that ho-hum is that the fight really sucks. So we won't get into the fight real deep, but I will bring you the results a little bit later. As Stephen Miocic is still the UFC heavyweight title with a five-round decision over. Former champion, a former light heavyweight champion, a man that knocked him out with an elbow at one point in time. We'll talk about Daniel Cormier of Silicon Valley USA. We'll also hear from Jessica McCaskill. And I'm so excited. Maybe we've got an exciting fighter yet. She is the biggest puncher in the world, but she's got three knockouts and nine wins. She's got a couple of losses. But last night, man, you got to hand it to her. Give her some props. I mean, she went into Tulsa, Oklahoma, a decided underdog. Somebody said it was 6-1. to one. Uh, I don't think so. It was a little higher than that. But the bottom line is Cecilia Brekis came in at 36 and zip, and she got beat. Got licked like a stamp. Judges had it like this. One judge had it, uh, Karen Holderfield, the female judge, had it 95-95, meaning a draw. Gerald Ritter, of course, one of the Ritter brothers. My buddy, Gerald Ritter, had it 97-94. Uh, of course, it means 6-3-1 uh, in rounds, I believe. And David Sutherland had it 97-93, or 7-3 in rounds. So that's a pretty one-sided win for the young lady. More props to her. It was the upset of the year. And hopefully, she can bring excitement back to women's boxing. Plus, they need to have smaller, ju- smaller gloves. I mean, they have smaller tennis rackets, smaller basketballs, smaller boxing gloves and women's boxing. You're tuned to Ring Talk Live Worldwide. Here comes the decision now. Let's listen. Clarity in the world of professional boxing is spelled WBO. That's right, the World Boxing Organization is boxing's only transparent sanctioned body. You can follow the WBO on Facebook or check out their website, WBOboxing.com. That's WBOboxing.com. The World Boxing Organization. Now, more of Ring Talk with Pedro Fernandez. As boxing creeps back into uh, existence, per se, the coronavirus, of course, a studio-free, uh, I mean, an audience-free boxing match. Of course, the UFC is getting akin to that, and of course, they did it last night with their UFC heavyweight title fight, which we'll get into just a little bit later. But Carl Frampton was a winner. Uh, of course, godfather Larry Merchant brought him up in earlier, of course, a former champion at 122 and 126 pounds, now fighting at 130. He's got a lot of stones and a lot of ability, Carl Frampton. Frampton came alive last night on ESPN from across the pond at 130 pounds. As I said, on the zone, Cecilia Brakus and Jessica Maskico. And what can I say other than about Miss 
masculine other than this. Let's bring in the undisputed welterweight champion of the world and new Jessica Castilla McCaskill. How are you feeling right now? Ah, uh, ridiculous. Who's streaking? Who said they were going to streak? No, no, wasn't for this fight. <laughs> hey, we believed in you. Me and Sergio thought there could be an upset in the air. You weren't getting a lot of respect from the odds makers. What were you thinking as those judges' scorecards were being read? I was thinking it, it takes a lot to take it away from the champion, and I just kept saying in my head, and new, and new. When I'm on the bag in the gym, that's what I'm saying, and new, and new. And that's what happened. Hey. Talk about your upbringing. When you, when you were homeless and when you were at wit's end and you didn't know what to do with your life, talk about that transition from that moment to where you are right now, the pinnacle of your career and your life. Well, my coach definitely told me a couple nights ago, he said, hey, this fight, fight it for you. So this is for the fourth-grade-year-old homeless Jessica. This is for the little girl that just didn't care what people thought about her and learned to love herself even though she was really weird. And for, for the me now that's just sacrifices everything to put this sport first and to make a difference that's what that's what that fight was about and i know you're still trying to make a, a difference in your community congratulations for, for all you've done in your community continue to do now you walk in there with what four welterweight belts <laughs> two super lightweight welterweight belts you're gonna be the toast of the town in chicago oh, what are you gonna do when you get home i'm gonna take a covid test <laughs> and then um, just celebrate with the with the gym and my team who's been with me through quarantine and, and before, like January and before, you know, those those gals and guys, they really um, hold it together. Summer Lynn, um, 147 professional, 2-0. She's back home taking care of business for me while I'm here. A couple people came in and just drove from Chicago to Oklahoma. How crazy is that? Um, so we're going to go have a nice dinner and just celebrate real chill. Uh, I can't wait to see my dogs. My mom's at home. Mom, I love you. Thank you. Oh, congratulations. You know, what, what was the difference tonight in there? What do you think the judges saw that they gave you the victory? I just didn't stop. I didn't expect her to be as rough as she was, but I was ready to be as rough as I had to be, and that's what came out. And it was a lot like uh, McCaskill-Taylor 1, and, you know, we're looking for that McCaskill-Taylor 2. So it's just throwing when she's holding and, and trying to move and make those punches happen. Um, keep your feet moving and, and just be aggressive. Be more aggressive and out-punch. You guys said it yourself. Shout-out to the to punch count. We never get a punch count for the females. 230 more punches than she did. That tells you that I wanted it. Absolutely, and I know you want Katie Taylor, but she's got a stiff test next week against Delphine Pursun. Yeah. Who do you think wins that fight? I don't know. I think Katie really underestimated her the last time. I was looking back at some of the pictures that you guys were posting, and gosh, she was bloody everywhere, and, and I hope she's uh, a lot more disciplined in, in her skills this time and, and comes out with the win because I want to be the one that beats her. All right, and what does it mean to you to stop Cecilia Brakus's uh, winning streak? She uh, defended her title 25 times. No one in the history of women's boxing even come close to that number. What does it mean to you to, to stop perhaps the greatest uh, woman of all time in boxing? I, I mean, I'm the one that likes to upset the party, so that's exactly <laughs> I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. A lot of times when they call out the the, court, the card and I just stay real mellow and real chill and then when it's time to celebrate I celebrate. So, you know, I'm not worried. I'm not, you know, iffy. I'm just waiting for them to call my name and say and new. Well, hey, I know you're going to tear it up in Chi-Town. <laughs> Go celebrate. Congratulations so much. on Thank the you. biggest night of your life. The new undisputed welterweight champion of the world. Jessica McCaskill, get this, she threw 230 more punches, and one judge called it even. She threw 230 more punches over 10 rounds, and one judge called it even. Karen Holderfield, 
Your license should be taken away. You should never judge a professional boxing match again, as should not the fighters, of course, the judges that judge the fight in Las Vegas. I mean, Glenn Feldman, I'm going to name these guys. Usually I don't name guys because with the Association of Boxing Commissions, I've taken, I've taken the boxing judge test for the past five to ten years, and I've passed, so I've been certified as a judge here in the United States if I want to judge fights. Okay, but the bottom line is, Glenn Feldman's with the ABC as well. All these judges have been with the ABC, but Glenn Feldman saw this fight with Rolando Romero and this Mr. Moranis, of course, from the Dominican, saw it eight to four in rounds. Eight to four. Holy cow. Frank Lombardi saw it 118 to 110 or 10 to 2 in rounds. The other guy scored 8 to 4 in rounds. Don Triella scored 115, 113 or 7 to 5 in rounds. What I'm trying to tell you is the Showtime team had a 117, 111 the other way. I had a 118, 111 the other way. Holy cow. I had a 10 to 2, one round even. What can I say? I wasn't really studying the fight per se, but that's why I was just scoring as I was going, okay? At the end of the day, I thought it was a big tice and a big time robbery, but that shows you that boxing is back and boxing is back big. But these judges that are inferior and, uh, I, I, they have to be inferior because they're not corrupt. I mean, nobody's buying them. Nobody's buying judges. Nobody's like, hey man, I want you to vote. No, that doesn't happen anymore. People don't buy judges per se. No, they don't do that. Okay? So there's no corruption there. It's just ineptness. Or going along with what they feel is the groove. See, there's a groove there in Las Vegas. The groove is for the hometown, hometown fighter. I mean, they were, they gave that guy Rocky Romero, Raleigh Romero, call him what you want. Um, all, they gave him that fight for throwing haymakers all night and looking like he couldn't win the Golden Gloves, not even the novice division. I mean, that was one of, what can I say? That was extremely poor. I was, I was ashamed. I was just absolutely ashamed. Let's go on to the week in history. Of course, brought to us by my man Billow, Grandmaster Billow. Of course, he is our house historian. When I say historian, I say his and then story. Bottom line is August 14th, San Francisco Mechanics Pavilion. James Jeffries, whoa, retains a heavyweight championship with a knockout TKO intent of J.J. Corbett retains a world heavyweight title. That was in 1903. Wow. August 14th, 1903. And, and in San Francisco at the Mechanics Pavilion. I think that was down at Army and where the uh, freeway is as far as 101, uh, 101 and Army Street is concerned, the Army Street Circle. August 17th, the Garden. Henry Armstrong, maybe the best fighter ever. Split decision went over Lou Amber. We'll have three titles at the same time. Bottom line is he was a lightweight champion, the welterweight champion, and the featherweight champion. Bad dude, no doubt about that. Pound for pound. Hammer and Henry Armstrong. 1990. Now, this is a fight. I hate to say it, and I don't mean to disrespect either guy, but I could have beat the other guy. And I know I could have beat the other guy. And I, I mean that. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. But in 1990, in France, Loretto Garza of Sacramento, California, won a split decision over Juan Coach to take the WBA junior welterweight title. And I will say this, that Don Chargan and those people came after me to turn pro. They offered me some money. They, they wanted me, they, I came to Vegas for the, um, after knock, after beating Keith Rucker, who was unbeaten. They sent all these people to watch Keith Rucker. Keith Rucker was the six foot one and a half junior welterweight that was knocking everybody out. He was like eight and oh, with like six knockouts, and he was supposedly killing everybody. I remember them coming to my trainer beforehand saying, you know, maybe you think that your guy isn't a little bit too heavy, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, 12 seconds into the fight, I was standing over him, begging him to get up, um, screaming at him to get up. Of course, disrespecting him to an extent, and I, I apologize for being disrespectful now some years later. But the bottom line is, you know, 
Chargin expected me. He wanted me to turn pro. He sent uh, Carlos Palomino to me that day. They, Carlos said, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? You're Pedro Fernandez, right? Blah, 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 blah. And they went through the whole schmeal. I didn't want to turn pro. What would I want to turn pro for? But I beat Rucker. That was something nobody ever thought I could do. But the bottom line is uh, both Loretto Garza and Juan Koji, I think that I could beat both those guys at 140 pounds. Sorry, but that's just the way I feel. In Los Angeles in 1958, August 18th, Floyd Patterson stops Roy Harris. Roy cut and shoot Harris in 12 rounds. He retained the World Heavyweight Championship. Another inept opponent opponent for uh, Mr. Patterson, of course, Custy Amato, picking the opponents at that point in time. He could have fought Sonny Liston. So he had Sonny Liston or Roy cut and shoot Harris. Which guy would you take? Yeah, yeah, that's why he took where I cut in Chieras. August 17, 1951, Alan Minter, born in England. Of course, Alan Minter, the world middleweight champion, the man that caused the, well, he wouldn't cause the riot, but when Marvin Hagler lit him up over there in the UK, of course, they threw stuff in the ring. They wouldn't allow Marvin to celebrate. I think that had a lot to do with Marvin being just a, a, a pass hole and, and without the P, I mean, for the most part afterwards. I mean, he just was, he was never fun to be around. Even in, I mean, in the gym, I understand it's business, but I was with him at WBC conventions and Buenos Aires and in Spain and Mexico, this and that. And everywhere we went, he acted like a turd. I mean, I don't know what more to say. Marvin, that's why when Larry Merchant and I talk Marvin Hagler on the, on the show, I'm not a big Marvin Hagler fan because I think, you know, although I think that he was a great middleweight, but look what he made his bones on. He made his bones on beating Roberto Duran over 15 rounds. Duran was beating him after 12 rounds. He lost to Sugar Ray Leonard in 12 rounds after selling his title because the fight was supposed to be for 15 rounds, but Ray Leonard said, if I give you another 5 million bucks, will you fight me for 12 rounds? And he said, okay. And if I give you another 5 million bucks, will you fight me with these gloves? And Marvin said, okay. And if I give you another 5 million bucks, will you fight me in this size of ring? And Marvin said, okay. So the bottom line is, Marvin sold his soul that night, okay? And look at the guys he beat. As I said, Tommy Hearns, Sugar Ray Leonard, and Sugar Ray Leonard and Roberto Duran. Three guys who were much smaller than him. And the greatest middleweight of all time? Come on. Way overrated, the guy from Brockton, Massachusetts. You are tuned to Ring Talk Live Worldwide. Next up, we'll delve into the world of the USC before we come back in our final segment tonight and spend some time with one of my favorite people. I'm talking about Mr. George Chavalo. You are tuned to Ring Talk Live Worldwide. Lenny and some oil to the ground. The thing is that I'm still in his brain, I'm still in his mind. I'm the guy that he wants to get rid of. Now, more of Ring Talk with Pedro Fernandez. Go crazy, folks! Go crazy! The guitar of the mighty Jeff Camelier. Jeffrey, my brother, miss you. You are tuned to Ring Talk Live Worldwide. You're inside looking the world of boxing, MMA. We'll get to the heavyweight title fight in a bit. Let's go through the undercard. Of course, the UFC rock and roll last half from US, uh, the UFC headquarters, Apex Center, call it what you want, in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's a closed arena. They have like a couple of people in the crowd, like uh, no audience per se, but like cornermen and people like that. Um, Jim Miller, as I guess he's going to be finally retired to talk about the cowboy Jim Miller. He was an ESPN Plus card, which preceded the pay-per-view card, and he was a loser to Vince Pichai. Outside of that, I'm not seeing anything that's making me uh, jump up and down here, except that Verma Jamarada, 
I think I got that. Jamaroba beat Phyllis Hareg with a submission armbar. It was one of the smoothest moves I've ever seen on the ground in my life. This girl, a woman straw weight, I mean 115 pounds, she could really, really, really roll on the ground. She rolled on this rolled this girl right into an armbar. It was like one of the slickest moves I've ever seen in my life. Maybe she's the uh, Maybe she's the next Ronda Rousey because that's what Ronda was doing was getting people into that armbar. But then once people realized that Scott Cuddy uh, taught them how to get out of the armbar, it was all over for, for Ronda Rousey. Of course, running into Amanda Nunes and, and of course, Holly Holm. We're going to say, boom, boom, good night, sweet princess. I'm talking about Holly uh, 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 Ronda Rousey, of course, blasting the world of professional wrestling, of which she has just retired from, and she says she's going to have a baby. Anyway, let's go to this card last night. Um, the Mark. I said he was a Mark yesterday. I was wrong. Jezru Rosenstruck knocked out Junior Dos Santos in the second round, beat him like a, beat on him like, oh God, like a horse. I mean, like oh, trying to get him across the finish line. It just, it wasn't pretty. It just wasn't. Of course, Junior Dos Santos taking those punches before, and I've told you before, some of the beatings he's taking, it's like the Cain Velasquez licking he took and, you know, and took a couple other, Francis and God, I think Francis got some of that. But the bottom line is, Junior is like, 39 going on 109, especially in the world of mixed martial arts, and he gets beaten on. Last night, he was getting beaten on like a Congo drum, real, real light, and then boom, it's all over, man. Got him on the ground, hit him a few times, and Junior was over. Junior, of course, he former, I believe, two-time, at least one-time USC heavyweight champion. But but this guy, Jasmine, Jasmine uh Rosenstruck, he defied my, he, I thought he was a mark, a stand-up, just a stand-up kickboxer. He was a mark. He was going to come in and get drilled, and he did more props to him, and I got to give him some big props. Speaking of props, they got to go to Marion Vera out of Ecuador, I believe. Of course, he defeated Sean O'Malley with a TKO in the first round, 440 in, a TKO with elbows. What happened was O'Malley, who came in 12-0 and with, like, I think 12 knockouts. I mean, he was, like, amazing as the record was concerned. He was on a, on a blitz. And what happened was he kicked Vera, and I think he hurt his leg. And then when he went to stand on it, he couldn't. And then Vera jumped on him, and it was all over. But the bottom line is, man, that was an ugly, ugly finish. They had to carry Sean O'Malley out on his stretcher. And this is a guy they were expecting bigger and better things for, of course, and hopefully putting some money behind it. Now, the World Heavyweight Championship. Man, what can I say? Stephen Miocic. Eventually, the scores were 49-46, 49-46, and 48-47. I had a 49-46, meaning four rounds won for the winner and still world heavyweight champion, Stipe Miocic. The winner and still, Stipe Miocic, the greatest UFC, there you go, the greatest UFC heavyweight champion of all time, without a doubt now. How does it feel? Tired. Tired? Yeah, I'm going to go home. <laughs> I can totally understand that. Was there anything about this fight that was surprising to you? No, I mean, no, I mean, honestly, he's, he's a hell of a fighter, honestly. I, I wish him nothing but the best. God bless him, you know, he's having a baby in October. God bless him with that, you know. Hope it's a healthy baby and lives a long, happy life. You know, and he, you know, he's an amazing champion, amazing ambassador. Love the guy, I have no ill will towards him. I know we had a thing for the trilogy, but I think that's what makes it better. Um... No, he's a tough dude. You know, I uh, I knew he was gonna kick more. Try to check those more. I knew, uh, you know, I think uh, I think he knew he had that first takedown, but I got right back up, so I wasn't really too worried. I think he knew that he was in for trouble if he's trying to take me down again. What was the game plan going in here, Stipe? Was there a plan A, plan B, and plan C? Did you have to vary your approach in any way? Yeah, I was on plan like 8.70-5. I was like, <laughs> so many of those right now. I had no idea at one point what I was doing. <laughs> Well, that is one of the things about these crazy heavyweight fights. 
Now, winning this fight, winning the rubber match, cementing your position, not just as the UFC heavyweight champion, but as the greatest of all time, where do you go from here? Do you have to go back and think about this and rest and relax with your family, or do you have a game plan in your head? My game plan. I swear, sorry. Uh, wake up early tomorrow, get up playing at 7 o'clock, go see my baby girl. I miss her all week. Celebrate my birthday on, uh, what's today, 50? I think Wednesday, the 19th, and uh, just enjoy life for now. I'll heal up, and then uh, we'll figure it out from there, man. I got the rest of the summer to hang out and enjoy the pool, and I got my new Traeger girl, so I'm pretty excited about that. Happy birthday, French champ, but if you ever fight Francis Ngannou again, it's all over. Speaking of Ngannou, a young man, of course, that would like to fight Ngannou, I mean, I, I, everybody seems to say they want a piece of Ngannou. I wouldn't mind fighting him. I wouldn't mind fighting him. Yeah, until you get into that octagon, into that cage with him. And now they're making this cage a little bit smaller. It used to be 30 feet around. Now it's 25 feet around. So, yikes. I mean, against a puncher, yikes. Absolutely triple yikes. I can't say yikes enough on that one. I would never want to fight Francis Ngannou no matter what. I straight up, if there were, if I was a UFC fighter and they said to me you had to fight Francis Ngannou, I would retire. Because it's absolutely, because I'm not gonna, I don't, I guess, I guess the, the ops, and people have corrected me over the years and said, you know, the object of a professional fighter is to make money, to put money on the table and to pay his rent, this and that. Yeah, but to not get killed. And I think that anybody fighting Francis Ngannou has got a serious chance of having serious permanent, permanent injuries. I kid you not. But the World Heavyweight Championship belongs in Cleveland, Ohio, to a boxer, per se. And that's what he did last night. He, boxing 101, right-hand crosses, the jab. Not looking too good with the jab, but some body shots. Maybe not as many body shots in his hooks as he threw in the, the second fight with Cormier, in which he stopped Cormier on body shots, basically. But last night, it was a boxing clinic, no doubt about that. Now 20-3, and three, I'm talking about the world heavyweight champion, Stip Miocic, former Golden Glove champion, Cleveland Golden Glove champion, Ohio uh, State Golden Glove champion, of course, Cormier out of Silicon Valley, USA, Santa Clara, San Jose, call it what you want, but the former light heavyweight champion, of course, 22-3, uh, two losses to Miocic, of course, for the heavyweight title, of course, after beating Miocic in that upset the first time around, and, of course, the one loss to John Jones, although he was beaten one other time by John Jones, but the decision was overturned because John Jones had tested positive for Flintstone vitamins, a.k.a. steroids. Speaking of John Jones, no word on whether he's coming back, when he's coming back, anything like that. As I told you before, it appears that the rats are fleeing the ship. I shouldn't put it that way, but, you know, like Amanda Nunes wants more money. Can't blame her. Two-division champion, 135 pounds, 145 pounds. Uh, beat Chris Cyborg Santos, considered the most dominant fighter in the history of mixed martial arts before she got knocked out in one round. I mean, ba-boom, surprise. Okay, but she ain't getting the money she thinks she's supposed to get. And none of these women, and none of these women or men in the world of mixed martial arts are getting the money they made. And week in and week out, I rail against Dana White saying that he is the pimp of all pimps. And, and if he was working on the streets of San Francisco back in the 70s and he had a bunch of girls and he was looking like Superfly, this kind of stuff, like Superfly Dana, guess what? He wouldn't have any girls because those girls weren't going to work for 8 to 12 cents on a dollar. That's what the fighters are getting. I keep saying it over and over again, and it sounds redundant, but that's pimp stuff. Think about that. The UFC takes in a buck, and they pay the fighters 8 to 12 cents. Dana said a couple of weeks ago, some guy brought up 18 cents. He said, oh, I'm, I'm not going to argue with you on that because I think it's a lot lower than 18 cents. Anyway, Boxy 101 was a there last night for Francis uh for a Stipe Miocic, but he's got Francis Ngannou in his future, and that's not a good thing. No way, no how. Now, the sport of boxing. Let's go back to the sport of boxing in hand. Of course, pound for pound, people think Vasily Lomachenko is like the guy. Of course, 135 pounds, former two-time world amateur champion. 
I mean, he lost only that one fight where he sort of got beat up. And when I mean he got beat up, he didn't get beat up like, 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 you know, he got mugged. I guess mugs more like the word to use because, um, he, he fought, uh, he fought Orlando Salido and Salido came in like, Overweight to begin with, he didn't make the 126 pound limit, and then he came in like four pounds over the weight, and then they went out and gained another 10 or 12 pounds, so they were like 142 pounds come fight time, and they just like muscled Lomachenko around. They sort of took him to school. That was Vasil Lomachenko's introduction to the professional boxing world, rude as it may be. Okay, but he got introduced to that. Of course, now he's like 14 and one. And he wants to take on, of course, the unbeaten Tiafimo Lopez, the rage. The key, I mean, from Brooklyn, New York, say what you want about Lomachenko. Um, Hector Martinez thinks that he's in over his head as far as uh, Lo- uh, Lopez is concerned with Lomachenko. I don't think so. Socrates Palmer doesn't think so. And we're willing to lay a wager on that. That's right. We're betting Lopez. Hector Martinez is betting Vasil Lomachenko. It's even money because he won't give me the odds I want. But I'm even willing to bet him even money. Bottom is Lopez over Lomachenko in October on ESPN. You are tuned to Ring Talk live worldwide on Twitch.tv. Check us out. The Sports Byline USA live TV channel. Now, more of Ring Talk with Pedro Fernandez. Hello, killer! The Motown Sound. I remember when Emmanuel Stewart was uh, my guy. Of course, he retired, the re- the retired, the late deceased gold father of the Cronk Gym there in Detroit, the guy of Jim that brought us Tom- stars like Tommy Hearns and people like that. But the bottom line is I wanted to write a book on Motown. I mean, I really wanted to write a book on Motown. And, like, Emmanuel knew all these people in Detroit, so I figured this was, like, the, the perfect idea to do, right? So I went back there. I interviewed a couple of people, and they didn't want to say anything about Barry Gordy. And then I tried to interview Barry Gordy, and Barry Gordy was very distant. So the bottom line is nobody was talking. It was like like it was like they were all under oath or something like that. They weren't they weren't speaking the truth. At the end of the day, I had a good time, and I missed Detroit. And of course, I missed Emmanuel Stewart. No doubt about that. Now we switch gears and we go from Detroit, Michigan, to across the border. I'm talking about. Canada, of course, Canada's most heralded heavyweight of all time, I think, uh, without a doubt. I'm talking about George Favalo. He was 16-0 with 16 knockouts as an amateur. I mean, he was a monster. Retired 73-18 with a couple of draws and 64 KOs. And he only got stopped a couple of times. That was by George Foreman and by Joe Frazier. Foreman in 1970 and Joe Frazier in 1967. Of course, both those guys, uh, world heavyweight champions and former Olympic gold medalists. So that's nothing to be ashamed of, but he never got knocked down. Remember Ali telling me I hit him as hard as I could, as flush as I could, and he wasn't going anywhere. So I said to myself, there's no sense to really try for the knockout here with George because Shavala wasn't going nowhere. Because remember what Ali says, is it true you have never been knocked down? And it was true that George Shavala had never been knocked down. And of course he had some some bad times in his life. A couple of people, I think a wife and a couple of kids committed suicide. So nothing was Nothing was perfect for George Chavalo after his retirement. I remember in the early 1990s, he and I had dinner together outside of Canisota, New York, the International Boxing Hall of Fame, and he sat there and he ordered and he ate. I counted them. You know, I do the weird stuff, right? But he counted. I counted them. He ate 125 shrimp. These big old shrimps. I'm not talking like prawns. I mean, they weren't little. But yeah, he, he ate 125 of them. He ordered 125. He ate all 125. Of course, then he was a bit of a a fat guy. 
Uh, you wouldn't tell him that to his face, but now he's trimmed down. He's looking good. He's lean. What can I say? But he is one of the class acts in the world of professional boxing, without a doubt. Still, if I call him on the phone, he treats me like gold. I'm talking about George Chavallo. Well, here it was in Toronto. I thought it was a great fight. He certainly proved that he could stay in there. He took the best that Ali had. He gave Ali real hell in that fight. I still felt I had a good shot with Ali, and uh, and anyway, it turned out to be a good fight because people uh, didn't think I was going to, most folks didn't think I was going to go 15 rounds with them, but it was a tough 15 rounds, and uh, and uh, it goes down in the history books as one of the one of the better title fights. A lot of people expected you to get knocked out by this guy. Yeah. You know, a lot of people were surprised at not only your stamina for the 15 yeah. rounds, but that he, because he'd been putting people down. Yeah, but I got a hard head. Uh, so <laughs> I, I know I, I had a hard head because my grade five teacher told me that. <laughs> I'm not sure people understand the, the historical significance of what was going on at that time with Ali because Ali couldn't fight in the States because at the time he was refusing to go to Vietnam. He had joined up with the Nation of Islam. He had changed his name to Muhammad Ali. There was a lot of politics around it, and people are trying to put it together as this, you know, this agitator from, from America. Yeah. You know, Black Panthers were around, you know, and against this great white Canadian hope. But a lot of people didn't understand that you didn't have a problem with Ali's politics or what he was saying at the time. No, not to me. I mean, he, as far as I'm concerned, uh, uh, he made a lot of sense. So I, I couldn't I couldn't say that uh, what he did was wrong or what he stood up for was wrong. I thought, I thought he, he made a lot of sense. So people here in Canada are nice. I've never really, honestly, I'm not saying it just because I'm here, because I'm not the kind of person who say things that don't mean. I tell the truth and I'm known for it. But I've never been treated so nice in my life. I haven't had no people uh, making wise cracks. Everybody's friendly, the children, the waitresses, the hotel managers, the policemen. Everybody's as nice as they can be. And it's a lot different from where I come from. History proved you both right, it yeah. seems. Well, uh, they're not mad at him anymore. America was mad at him for quite a while. You had about about 97 pro fights? 97 pro fights, yeah. Never kissed the canvas once? Kissed, uh, kissed a few girls, but never the canvas. So. <laughs> Talk about the fact that you had all these fights, some of them great fights. I think you fought in Madison Square Gardens, you know, 20,000 people there. You fought these big fights. Yeah. But the one that everybody wants to talk about, including me today, is that historic fight with Ali. Does it bother you that that's the one that they remember the most? No, not at all. I, mean, I can understand it. You know what I mean? So, yeah, there's no problem. I lost the fight, but, you know, uh, it was a tough fight. And, you know, it didn't do me any harm. It, it, in fact, it enhanced my reputation. So that was okay. That was cool with me. Talk about what happened after that fight. There's a, there's a great story about what Ali did after the fight and what you did after the fight. <laughs> well, he, he went to the... He went to the hospital with bleeding kidneys at St. Mike's Hospital in Toronto. He took a few and, body shots there yeah, from quite a few. And I went dancing with my wife. You went to the disco while he went to the hospital. Yeah, he, I went to the disco. He went to the hospital. What does it mean to you as a Canadian boxer, one of the greats that followed him? What is his legacy to you? To me, he's a legend. He's a man that really started Canadian boxing because, you know, it was Muhammad Ali that challenged him to a fight and really came up here to go against a soft Canadian, but he was really uh, in shock when he boxed against George Avello, realizing that this man he can't knock out. This man doesn't cut. This man's tough, and he's from Canada. Let's talk about some of the, the... You've kind of taken some personal tragedies that you've experienced in your life, 
and really turn it around to try to help people. Talk about that part of George Savala for us. I went through hell. I lost three sons, lost my wife. Uh, it's hard, in retrospect, it's hard to believe I survived this far. But now you're helping people. You're talking to young yeah. people. You're talking to kids. Tell us about that. Uh, I have a chance to address young people and make them understand about how important it is to be on the right side of things, how important it is to be drug-free, how important it is to be cigarette-free, how important it is to, be, to work out, how important it is to take care of your body, how important it is to stay in school. Hope that if I can make, make some sort of impact, talking to them now, tomorrow uh, there'll, be, there'll, be a, there'll be a success story. You know, I had a lot of fun around him, and I don't mean just watching him meet. I mean having the fun around him because he was so classy and he was so honest. And he talked openly about Ali and talked about openly about the oppression that Ali was facing in the United States at that point in time. And he wasn't talking just about the fact that, you know, Ali refused to go into the draft and the government was on his case. There were a lot of people in the United States who were on his case. In fact, he may have been the most popular athlete, but the popularity wasn't really popular. And there was a good percentage of those people that were that, that wanted to see him, wanted to see him get hurt and or beat. I remember that in the movie The Greatest, they featured that one lady that went from fight to fight to fight to fight, just hoping that he would lose. And finally, one day, she, he lost. And I think, and she called him the N-word. I mean, she was just like, finally, you got your... So, I mean, it was the, the animosity was incredible between Muhammad Ali and some of the uh, the populace here in the United States. But, of course, you heard Lennox Lewis there praising George Shavala at one point in time. Uh, Lennox Lewis, the former world heavyweight champion. Shavala, as I said, he talked about losing three da- three sons and, of course, a, a wife as well. And a, I think most of that was suicidal. So I don't know what to say others, to say about other than that, other than you have to be real sorry. I mean, no doubt about that. You are tuned to Ring Talk Live Worldwide. You're inside looking to the world of boxing, MMA. Big fights, super big fights. Ain't no super big fights. Looks like Canelo's not going to fight in September. You know, they would have announced it by then. So that's not going to happen. The Mike Tyson fight's been moved up to uh, uh, probably November. I'll get the exact date to be exact, but it looks like they're going to move that to November. I think the Thanksgiving week or something like that. Because, you know, they can't get a live crowd. Or maybe they can get a live crowd at that point in time, and they couldn't get a live crowd in September. Of course, we were originally going to do it September the 12th. Mike Tyson taking on Roy Jones in an exhibition of sorts, and it's sort of like a little spooky. When I say spooky, I mean spooky for the guy that's going to have to spend the money, the 50, 60, 70 bucks, whatever they're going to charge to watch Mike Tyson and Roy Jones uh, do a an exhibition, an eight-round, three-minute round, eight, eight rounds, three-minute each round. Uh, an exhibition with 12-ounce gloves. Now, 12-ounce gloves, that's not going to take a whole lot of power away from Mike Tyson, but it might take a tad of, of power and speed away from Roy Jones because Roy Jones is going to need to be fast. He's going to need to be fleet-footed. He's going to need to keep that chin away from Mike Tyson because once Mike hits that chin, it's probably going to be all over for Roy. Roy hasn't been able to take a punch in a long time. And if you remember, if you remember, you've been listening to this show since the 80s. In 1988, Roy Jones won the Olympic trials over here in Concord, California. I think that they had the prelims in Oakland, California. So Ray Leonard and I were sitting in, Sugar Ray Leonard and I were sitting in Oakland, California, and he's talking about, he was a promoter at the time. Ray Leonard had a, a small promotional company. So he's gonna, um, he's gonna offer Roy Jones a million bucks. He's gonna offer a million bucks. So he's gonna give him a hundred thousand dollars cash that day, and then, uh, I'll give him a, a nine hundred thousand dollar check, something like that, blah, blah. So Ray goes and orders the money. The $100,000 comes to the hotel. I see the $100,000. And he says, Pedro, we got to count this, this, and that. I said, I ain't touching that money. Anyway, so he counts the money. He counts the hundred grand. The, the courier counted it first, and Ray counted it again. So he puts it in a briefcase, and he holds on to the briefcase. And then we start talking about Roy Jones. And then he says to me, he goes, you know, 
you know Roy's got a glass jar, right? I said, what? He said, yeah, Roy's got a glass jar. I said, man, Roy's never been touched. He's never been hit. He goes, no, no, Pedro. His reflexes keep him out of harm's range, but he's been knocked out in the gym unconscious where he was snoring like <clears throat> asleep, like he was taking a nap, okay, with the big gloves on. I said, really? He goes, yeah. And I think and Ray tried to allude that it was more than one time. So Ray was hedging on the hundred grand. You know what I'm saying? He's got the hundred grand. He's going to offer Roy Jones a million, but he's got the hundred grand in his hand. Of course, Don King is there. Dan Duva's there. All the Bob Arum's got his people there. All the big time promoters, international and domestic, were there, of course, at the Olympic trials in 1988. Of course, good, good Olympic class, no doubt about the eventual uh, heavyweight champion that year. Of course, it was Lennox Lewis. We mentioned him a little earlier. Lennox Lewis beating Riddick Bowe handily. I mean, just beating him down, no doubt about that. But 1988, Good year, but it sort of, when he said that Roy Jones had a glass jaw, I just said, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, maybe, you know, right? You know, was, I was just figuring that, 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 Roy, that Ray was hedging his bet. Sugar Ray was hedging his bet. He didn't want to kick down the million. He didn't want to kick down the hundred grand. And he was like holding on to the hundred grand like it was the last hundred grand he had in his life. And I knew it wasn't. So, hmm. Ray was having second thoughts because of Roy's chin. So Ray didn't end up signing Roy, and of course Roy went on to superstardom before his chin got exposed. But when it did get exposed, man, did it get exposed. I mean, da, uh, yee. I mean, I, I can get, Tarver knocked him. I keep going, man. A lot of guys like drilled jo, jo, Roy Jones, and unfortunately were guys with lesser abilities than Roy had. Of course, Roy, the 1988 silver medalist, got robbed in the, in the, uh, Seoul Olympics against a guy from Korea. Coincidence? Nah. Robberies happen. Hometown robberies happen all the time. Of course, somebody asked me about a hometown robbery the other day. Of course, Andy Nance fighting Lightning Lonnie Smith at the at the Circle Star Theater. I thought that was a bit of a heist. Of course, Lonnie Smith coming into town. Andy Smith, Andy Nance going away with that win. Of course, Andy retiring a once beaten fighter, losing that one decision when he went up there to uh, where was he? he went to we went to Lake Tahoe to fight that left hander, and he didn't want to spar me in the gym because I was licking him left handed. Licking him like a stamp, beating him up left-handed. Don't, uh, I don't want to fight left-handed. I want you sparring left-handed. You imagine that one, folks. Some guy that's ranked number one by Ring Magazine, ranked number one by Ring Magazine, telling you that he didn't want you fighting left-handed. He only wanted you fighting right-handed, even though you had the ability to fight ambidextrous. That's Andy Nance, the brave guy. Of course, he retired once the doctor said to him, Hey, man, you have a headache? Yeah, you know, maybe you don't want to retire. I'm retiring. He quit. I think Andy was damaged goods after that Mitchell Julian fight down there at the Circle Star Theater. But the Lonnie Smith fight, that was a bit of a hometown cooking. You are tuned to Ring Talk Live Worldwide. Check it. You're inside looking the world of boxing and MMA. This is the Sunday edition. Of course, if you're listening to the show delayed, you're listening to at Anchor.com, the Ring Talk Live Worldwide podcast. Of course, updated after each and every show. You're tuned to Ring Talk Live Worldwide. Michael Jeffries to the break, and this is his birthday. So, happy birthday to Michael Jeffries, one of the lead singers of uh, Tower of Power. Now, more of Ring Talk with Pedro Fernandez. I'm going to go home. 
hang out with my wife, my dogs, get the baby set up, and then uh, then we'll figure it out from there. I'm just tired right now. I just want to go home and hang out. And, uh... We wish him the best. Tiffany Miocic still the world UFC heavyweight champion. Of course, Dana White pushing him into a fight. He said he didn't have a full camp. You know, the bottom line is when you look at the fact that Daniel Cormier came in like 25 or 30 pounds heavy as far as fat's concerned, anytime did you have that rough of a time boxing a fat guy, what can I say? You're not using all your boxing skills. That was a knock I had last night on Stephen Miocic. But I do want to give praise to the fighter of the week, Jessica McCaskill. She's got like a thousand different, uh, 147 pound title belts, a couple of 140 pound title belts, but she is the world champion, 147 pounds, a unheralded six to one underdog to, uh, you know, Cecilia Brakis, who's like 36 and 0 with like nine KOs. She had never lost a fight, hadn't lost too many rounds. Bottom line is last night she got licked like a stamp, but that one judge and get this, the young lady that won, won through 230 more punches over 10 rounds, and one judge had it even. What kind of crap is that? That's what's wrong with professional boxing. Much like those three judges last night in Las Vegas, of course, I'm talking about for that WBA lightweight title fight with Raleigh Romero and the Dominican man. They took, I mean, the Dominican should have got the penthouse and said he got the shaft. Okay, he just, I couldn't believe that. And of course, as I said, social media outrage, different champs screaming about it. Of course, I'm talking about my man, Ryan Garcia. And of course, Ryan Garcia is going to be we don't know if the fight's signed yet. We'll have it next week as far as deafness is concerned. But it looks like one of my favorite guys, Ryan Garcia, is going to be in action. Of course, Gervonta Davis in that big fight with Leo Santa Cruz. People say Leo Santa Cruz is showing incredible intestinal fortitude. But where, 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 where Santa Cruz thinks his advantage is, he's going to make Davis come in at 130 pounds. So he won't be able to last four or five rounds, have him make that extreme weight. Because he usually fights at 135 pounds. So we'll see what's happening there. This is Ring Talk, live worldwide, production of Sports Byline. Of course, you can catch us live on Twitch.tv, a Sports Byline USA channel, both live and delayed, iHeartRadio, Sirius XM, Satellite Radio, Channel 211, every Saturday and Sunday, 11 a.m. Pacific time. But most importantly, you can check us out, baby, at Anchor.com, the sports, and of course, Ring Talk, live worldwide channel. Until then, Scott Cuddy's my executive producer. Thank you so much for tuning in to Ring Talk, live worldwide. Hey!